Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Every December, our family decorates our home with it. Public schools take two weeks break because of it. America spends some $800 billion of its hard-earned income because of it, and all the world marks time by it. I'm talking, of course, about Christmas. It's been called the most significant event in human history, and millions would agree with that statement. But how often do we pause to consider the significance of the story that changed all of humanity? We spend vast amounts of our time shopping for those perfect gifts, decorating our homes inside and out with beautiful lights and Christmas landscapes. But do we pause to consider its meaning, its true meaning? In our home, We like to play music all of the time. I've got Alexa on my counter in the kitchen so that I can play just about any song I want if I ask her to and she's in the mood. (laughs) It's just so convenient to, to say, Alexa, play Christmas music. And suddenly you hear holiday music coming into the room. As we ate dinner the other night, it occurred to me that in the 30 minutes that we'd been listening to music while we ate our dinner and had been playing, that not one single song about the true meaning of Christmas, not a single carol addressed the Christ child. And the question popped into my head, how can you celebrate Christmas without the Christ? From Genesis to Micah, This milestone moment was prophesied by the Lord, and through various prophets throughout the Old Testament, not only was the birth of Jesus foretold, but the way that he would arrive, the town of his birth, his genealogy, and the way in which he would die, even though crucifixion would not be invented for hundreds of years down the line. This story of intrigue began in the Garden of Eden and would culminate with an empty grave and a risen Savior. And while the hero, the central figure in the story, lived, died, and arose again back to life, God wrote mankind into the pages of the script too. We'll read about a young girl who was written into the script as the mother of Jesus a father who led his family well and faithfully carried out the calling to his life as the human father of our Savior. Why is the birth of the Savior the most important event and not Easter? Well, without the birth, there can be no death and resurrection. Without the birth, there is no salvation for you and for me. So let's dig into this fascinating adventure as we rediscover the true meaning of Christmas. Today, we will answer the question, why did God become a man? Imagine yourself as Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Joseph, the human stepfather of this child from God. 
we would have so many questions about why God had chosen this means for his arrival into the world and why God had come into the world at all. Here's answer number one as to why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of his birth. In Luke 24:40, Jesus said, All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The Old Testament prophets referred to the coming Messiah, a champion who would arrive on the scene of human history, bringing salvation with him. In fact, there's so much written about Jesus that you can almost write a complete theology on him from just the Old Testament alone. The prophetic books all speak of the one who would restore mankind back to their heavenly father. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies found in these ancient writings, and Jesus fulfills them all perfectly. Isaiah prophesied in in chapter 7, verse 14, writing, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name, and we just sang it, Emmanuel. 750 years prior to the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied that the coming Messiah would be born of a virgin, and she would call him Emmanuel, which translates God with us. The prophet Micah provided the town where Jesus would be born and confirmed his deity by revealing that he had stepped out of eternity past and into human time. So why did Jesus enter into human history? Well, number one, we just heard Jesus came to fulfill our Old Testament prophecies of his birth. And here's number two. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. The night before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus prepared his disciples for the difficult hours that they were about to experience when suddenly Philip interrupts uh, Jesus talking with a request found in John 14, 8, 9. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show me the Father? Jesus is God in a human body. If you want to know who God is, what he is like and how he relates to you, then get to know Jesus because he embodies the spirit of God. The only way to know God is to know Jesus. The only way to get to God is through his son, Jesus. The only way for us to do the things of God is to watch what Jesus did and do them. A few verses prior, Jesus revealed back in in verse 6 this truth when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to God but through Jesus Christ, his Son. So why did Jesus enter into human history? Well, to fulfill Old Testament prophecies, 
Number two, he came to reveal the Father to us. And here's number three. Jesus came to save us from our penalty of sin. He came to save us from the penalty of sin. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he said. The expressed purpose for the Savior coming into the world was to save you and I from our sin. God is holy, he's righteous and timeless. Man is sinful, guilty, and lives within the confines of time. God, the righteous judge, requires justice to be met out regarding sin and sinners. He cannot ignore the consequences of injustice and be a righteous God. He can't. He can't, he can't just sweep sin under the carpet. It must be dealt with because he's a righteous judge. On the other hand, mankind is incapable of saving ourselves from the grip of sin. And the result of sin, we're told, is death. So how can these two truths be reconciled? What are we to do? Well, God provided the perfect and righteous remedy for our dire situation. He sent down his one and only son because of his great love for you And for me, he sent down his only son to take on humanity, to become a man, God in a body. Jesus would live a perfect life, satisfying God's holiness. He would make the perfect payment for our sin by dying in our place on the cross. And God would raise him back to life, signifying his approval of Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. Justice had been met. The man of God was the perfect answer for our salvation. My friend and mentor, Dr. David Jeremiah, who has written uh, the screenplay on this, and we'll see it at 7 o'clock, wrote these words, and I quote, We had to have a man-God to save us. And because Jesus was God and man, he lifted up one hand and took hold of the Father, And with the other, he reached down and took a hold of mankind. And at the cross, in a moment in time, he brought them together. And now with his hands reached out, he offers us salvation to all who would come and receive it. By joining hands with Jesus and surrendering your life to him, you can know the greatest love and joy and purpose in life, to be restored to God who created you for his pleasure and your fulfillment. By yielding your life to him, you can be joined to the only one who has ever loved you, both perfectly and completely. There's none other than Jesus. And right now, there's no better time. If you have never made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never received that free gift that is extended to you, now is the time to do that. I say it often at the church here that it's too dangerous to leave this building without Jesus. It just is. Because if you go out into eternity without Jesus, there's no remedy. There's no fix for that. But 
If you receive his grace and his mercy now because of his great love, he will receive you. You will make an RSVP in heaven so that when you go out into eternity, you have a place with God. So why did Jesus enter into human history? Well, we read that he needed to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of his birth. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us and to save us from the penalty of sin. And here's reason number four. Jesus came so he could relate to our weaknesses. He could relate to our weaknesses. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 tells us this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why is it that we can run to Jesus with our problems and struggles? Because he experienced both, yet without sinning. He understands how difficult this world can be, how harsh people can be, and he understands everything you and I are going through. He empathizes with our struggles. This story fascinated me this week. Dr. Maxwell Maltz is a plastic surgeon. He tells of a man who had been injured attempting to save his parents in a terrible house fire. His elderly parents died in the blaze, and he was burned over a great part of his body, his face badly disfigured. He mistakenly interpreted what had happened to him as as some sort of punishment from God for not having gotten his parents out safely. In his anguish, he refused to let anyone see him, not even his wife. So she went to see Dr. Maltz for help. He said, I can fix him. But she knew her husband would turn down any offer of plastic surgery. When she visited him again, the doctor, he asked why she had come. She said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to disfigure my face so that I can be like my husband. If I can share in his pain, then maybe he will let me back into his life. Maltz wrote, I had never in my life heard of anything like this before. I had always been paid to help people look better. She wanted me to make her look like her disfigured husband. Of course, he wouldn't do that. But he decided to go and visit the man himself and tell him what she had said. He knocked on the man's door and said loudly, I am a plastic surgeon and I want you to know that I can restore your face. There's no response. Please come out, he said. Again, no answer. Still shouting through the door, Dr. Maltz told the man of his wife's proposal, she wants me to disfigure her face to make her face look like yours in the hopes that you will let her back into your life. That's how much she loves you. 
There's a brief moment of silence. And then, ever so slowly, the doorknob began to turn. Listen, your heavenly Father loves you so much that he sent his one and only begotten son from the grandeurs of heaven and into the ugliness of this life, the pain, the anger, the, the dismemberment, the, all of the ugliness that life can offer. Jesus became disfigured for you and for me in order to become like us. And so he could bear our sin, all of them, on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus experienced the pain and suffering that we deserved out of his endless and all-powerful love provided by the Father. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 tells us this. Paul wrote, and you, you and me, being dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, God, has made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Amen. Now we have a high priest who understands our pain and sorrow. Now we can have the relationship which was broken and shattered in the garden. Now we can become God's forgiven children with all access passes into the throne room of God Almighty, 24, 7, 365. Well, Jesus came to fulfill Old Testament prophecies, to reveal the Father to us, to save us from the penalty of sin. Jesus came so we could relate, or he could relate to our weaknesses. And, and lastly, number five, he came down so we could go up. <laughs> I know, are we grateful for that? Jesus came down so that you and I would have the ability to go up. Colossians 1.27 tells us this. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reason that you and I can hope for heaven, the reason that you and I can secure our eternal life is because we have the hope of Jesus in us. If you've prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your life, if you've received the gift and you've surrendered to him, then you have the hope of glory living in you tonight. There can be no hope of us going to glory his dwelling place without Christ coming into our lives and then taking up residency there. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to come to God, and that's through his son, Jesus. You, you see, listen to this. You can't be good enough, and neither can I. 
There's nothing we can do to earn our way into God's good graces. Only a humbled and repentant heart, which is surrendered to Jesus, can be received by God and into his, into his presence. Charlie was 10. School was out for Christmas, and the family had chosen to spend the holiday in the country. The boy pressed his nose against the bay window of the vacation home and marveled at the British winter they were experiencing. He was happy to trade the blackened streets of London for the cotton-white freshness of the snow-covered hills. His mom invited him to go for a drive, and he quickly accepted. They snaked down the, uh, the twisty roads in their car, the tires crunching the snow as they went, and the boy puffed his breath on the window. Living in Idaho helps us imagine this. <laughs> See, it was only a dream when I lived in San Diego. <laughs> Charlie was thrilled as they drove. The mother, however, was a bit anxious. She could tell this was a little more than a normal storm. Heavy snowfall began to fall. Visibility lessened. And as she took a curve, the car started to slide, and it didn't come to a stop until it was in a ditch. She tried to drive out of the ditch, but she couldn't do it. Little Charlie pushed. She pressed the gas, but they were just digging themselves in deeper. They were really stuck, and they needed help. A mile down the road, there was a house, and off they went and knocked on the door. Of course, the woman told them, of course you can come in. Please come in and warm yourself. The phone is yours. She offered them tea and cookies and urged them to stay until the help arrived. An ordinary event? Don't suggest that to the woman who opened her door that day. She has never forgotten that moment. She's retold the story a thousand times, she says. And who could blame her? It's not often that royalty appears on your porch, for you see, the two travelers stranded by the English winter were no less than Queen Elizabeth and the heir to the throne, 10-year-old Charles. <laughs> That'd be a day to remember, wouldn't it? But something far more amazing has taken place in your life and in mine and in this world. The story of Christmas is that royalty has walked down our driveway. The king of kings has rung the doorbell. And God has set up his dwelling place among us. God became flesh just like you and me in order that he might go to the cross and die. That he might sacrifice his flesh. His blood would be spilt in your place and in mine, so that you and I could be restored to the Father once more, no longer separated from God. Why did God become a man? That's the question for tonight. So he could abide with us and we with him. Forgiveness and restoration is as close as a whispered prayer 
And his desire for us is that we accept this offer of a restored life through his one and only son, Jesus. The guys I used to work with when I was a cop often would ask the question, how can your God send people to hell? That's no God I want to know. And I'd say, well, hold on for a second. What you just stated is wrong. My God doesn't send people to hell. My God offers them salvation. He offers them rescue, a way out. Listen, if you go to hell, it's not because God sent you there. It's because you've rejected his offer of rescue. The Christ of Christmas is here with us right now. Have you opened the door of your heart and let him inside? He's knocking on the door. He wants inside of your life because he wants to offer you that salvation that you need and want, whether you know it or not in this moment. If not, may I suggest to you that there's no better time than right now to open the door and let him in. Tell God you're a sinner. He knows it already. You know it. He knows it. That you want to release control of your life to him. That's repenting. That's turning around and saying, God, you take my life. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to his word.